Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Momming with Maya. Um, On today's topic, we'll be talking about the NICU. But as a reminder and a disclaimer, although majority of our guest speakers have the education, credentials, and necessary training, please consult with your doctors or care providers before trying or engaging in any of the things you might hear spoken about on this episode, past episodes, and future episodes. The goal of this podcast pregnancy series is to educate through knowledge and sharing personal experiences. But as we all know, pregnancy and pregnancy and babies, like many other things in life, are not one size fits all. So without further ado, I would like to introduce, like to introduce our guest speaker or have her introduce herself, um, and then we'll jump right into our topic. Okay. Hey, y'all. My name is Chelsea. Um, I am a registered nurse, and I um, went to Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, where I received my Bachelor of Science in Nursing. Um, And prior to that, I went to the University of Maryland, where I met Tamaya. And um, I am also bachelor's prepared from there with um, a degree in community health. Um, My Instagram name is um, at 35 milligrams of Chels. So 35 MG of Chels. Um, And then just to shout out my little side hustle that I got going on. I, um, with my partner, her name is Ashley. You can find her on IG, Ashley, the NP. We, um, are owners of the Renegade Resume LLC, and you can find us on IG, the Renegade Resume. And basically we are a nursing, um, professional preparation company where we help edit nursing resumes, cover letters, mock interviews, personal statements, um, and everything under the sun as it relates to advancing your nursing career. Um, so if there are any nurses out there or anybody that wants to be a nurse and wants to get a nursing resume kind of squared away, hit us up. Yes. Thank you so much for that, Chelsea. Um, and before we jump into talking about the NICU, NICU stays and all of that, I just want to publicly thank you for this opportunity. And I have to share very quickly how this has literally come full circle. So, you know, for a while, I've been trying to just start up just support groups and Mm -hmm. everything for moms because being pregnant or getting pregnant with Caden when I was in my senior year of college, I mean, there Mm -hmm. was so much that I didn't know and so many supports I wish that I had um, along the way. Um, But when you came to visit me, you were actually, what, the second person to see Caden and mm-hmm. Kyrie was the first. I don't even think I, I didn't lay eyes on him because I had a C-section and I went under. So you were telling me about Caden um, <laughs> when he was in the NICU. And so to have it come full circle with you being pretty much the first, aside from the parents, to see Caden in the NICU and now being a NICU nurse yourself, I yeah. mean, I I was putting this out in the atmosphere, like we are going to do some kind of podcast, webinar, something, and Chelsea is going to talk about the NICU, and here we are. So thank you, thank you. And you know you. what? At the time, I was not a NICU nurse, um, and I I actually I just happened to be driving. I think I was driving either to Maryland or from Maryland, and you had delivered. And I was like, great, perfect timing. Where's right. the hospital? 
I'll stop by right now. <laughs> yes, it worked out so perfectly. But um, just to give a quick, um, and I, I was trying to think earlier, I'm like, I should pull out my hospital papers, but because I want to tell everything, but I might miss a couple of things. But Caden was in the NICU because I was actually in labor for about 28 hours. Um, and then we had to do an emergency C-section and his heart rate um, had dropped. I had gotten an infection from like laboring so long and being checked so many times. Mm -hmm. um, and so he was in the NICU for those reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, it was one more other thing, but I really can't remember right now. But um, he was full term. I mean, my I went into labor on my due date, which was October 25th, and he was born the next day. Um, but it was the experience was something that I was totally not prepared for. No one has spoken to me about mm -hmm. the possibilities of your baby having to go to the NICU for any kind of reason. Like I didn't even talk to my provider or any anyone about mm -hmm. NICU at all. It was literally not in my mind. I'm like, I'm having a healthy pregnancy. My baby, my baby is healthy thus far. So the NICU was nowhere in my mind. So I think it's super important Um like that we're talking about NICU stays because I mean just because you're having a healthy pregnancy and your baby is full term doesn't mean that your baby might not have to go to the NICU yeah that is so, correct yes so just to jump right in I know we're just throwing NICU out there which is an acronym but can you please tell us what NICU stands for Yes, um, NICU stands for Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, um, and believe it or not, there are different levels to the NICU. I actually um, just remember this. So there's um, really only like two that we ever ever really speak about. Level one would be considered like a newborn nursery, like basically that's mother baby. So if your if your child is um, perfectly like healthy and they'll be with you. It, at the bedside after your um, you recover from your delivery, so that's kind of like a level one nursery. Um, a level two NICU, um, where I I have worked at before, um, usually is pretty small. They don't take any babies less than um, like 30, 30 weeks. I want to say less than thirty weeks, um, just because they probably don't have the equipment to take micro preemies um, or the you know, um, the skill set for the nurses and stuff like that. So mostly, mostly it has to do with equipment and um, what they can do, like resuscitation wise. Um, so level two NICU is fairly simple. They'll take babies that need respiratory support, um, but like fairly simple respiratory support. Um, they won't take any kids that need surgery or need to go on something called ECMO, which I won't even get into. Um and then if a baby ends up being intubated, which is a breathing tube in the throat, they sometimes don't keep that baby. They might ship the baby out, um, especially if the kid is not doing well with the tube in their throat. Um, but they'll take very simple, like the baby has blood sugar issues or um, is having breathing issues, having feeding issues, um, hyperbilirubinemia, things like that, level two. Level three is the step up where they take a little bit more complex cases. So they will take micropremies, um, anything over 23 weeks. Um, there are some level threes that will take surgical patients. There are some level threes that um, will do ECMO. Some of them don't. Um, another difference between um, 
like a level two and a level three is something called cooling, where if a baby comes out and has um, a neurological injury during the, de- the, the delivery, um, a lot of the, some treatment for that is um, they basically cool the baby and make them very cold and it protects their brain. Um, and so not all level threes will do that. So if a baby does need that, they have to go to a level four NICU. Um, and then a level four NICU, um, if the baby, like, they basically do everything. So surgeries, um, bedside procedures, they take babies that need to be intubated on oscillator, um, cooling, um, ECMO, all that jazz. So level four is like the highest level of NICU. So, but yeah, that's basically the breakdown. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, I didn't even know that there were multiple, I mean, I didn't know there yeah. were four levels. I knew there were, I think maybe two. Um, but I think you touched on some of the reasons why a baby might be in the NICU, but if you could just touch on some of the more common mm-hmm. reasons, um, that would be great. Yeah. Yes. So I, I want to say the number one reason is prematurity. Um, the youngest, what they call viable age, I know it sounds terrible, but viable age is a baby that is at least 23 weeks. I will say that I have seen a baby survive that was less than 23 weeks because they were unsure about the mom's last menstrual period. So the mom swore up and down when the baby was born that he was like 22 and five. Um, so he did survive. <laughs> um, and I he got transferred out of our NICU, so I didn't get to see him go home. So I don't, got, I don't, I don't know, you know, how he did um, long term. But 23 weeks is usually when they will start to entertain the conversation of doing a full resuscitation for your baby. Um, So prematurity, um, full term is really considered like, I want to say like 36 weeks and higher. So anything under like 36 weeks. um, So 23 to 36 weeks is about, (laughs) is, is considered preterm. Um, and then there's different levels of preterm. So, but well, I won't get into all of that. <laughs> I mean, it's so um, funny though. Um, I mean, it's not funny, but I understand that that's protocol because I had Sarai early. I had her, um, I mean, I labored for 41 hours, but the time mm-hmm. she was born, she was 35 weeks and six days and and she had to go to the NICU. And it just because she was 35 exactly, and six. And I just, mm-hmm. I mean... I just, you know, no mom wants their baby to go to the NICU. And I just was, like, pleading mm-hmm. with them. Like, you guys said she was fine. Like, like, <laughs> her, like her after scores and all that other stuff. Like, when she came out, she was fine. But just by protocol, mm-hmm. she had to go to the NICU. And it just broke my little heart. And I'm just like, can't there be, like, some wiggle? Like, she was 35 and 6, and it was 830. Like, in three and a half yeah. something <laughs> hours, she wouldn't have had to go. Like, like, I understand. I mean, protocol is protocol, but I was just like, we were yeah. right there on the cusp. Oh, and that does happen too. Um, but prematurity is definitely number one. Um, and every hospital is different. So everybody, every hospital has their own little, uh, like, break, uh, cutoff age, cutoff gestational age of, like, it's an automatic admission to the NICU or, um, you know, the baby can go to well baby. And if it does well, it does well. Um, 
The other reason, which um, is very common, is called rule-out sepsis. And I believe this is why Caden was admitted to the NICU. So sepsis is a, uh, is a fancy word for infection. And a lot of times we worry about an infection in the baby if the mommy had an infection. Mm-hmm. And so what you probably had was something called chorioamnesia. Now I can't even say the word. Um, basically, an infection of your like placenta. Right. <laughs> we, we call it choreo for short. I think it's like choreo amni something. I don't know. I'm blanking on the word. Gosh, don't judge me, y'all. <laughs> um, but you you probably had choreo. Um, and like you said, every time the doctor like goes in to do a manual exam, there's a risk of introducing bacteria into your vaginal canal which can travel through your open cervix and into, um, you know, where the babies are swimming around. Um, And then there's a risk, you know, because once your water breaks, there's a risk of it getting to the baby. So um, sometimes babies will come out and be symptomatic of having an infection. Um, And that is a reason to admit them to the NICU. Because um, as you can imagine, babies are born with like no immune system. So antibiotics are very important to uh, initiate early on, especially if it's even suspected. Um, sometimes babies are born and it could be that they are septic, meaning that they have an infection. But sometimes whether they are in the, in the they have an infection or not, sometimes they come out having trouble breathing. And one of the main reasons that I do see in the NICU is called respiratory distress syndrome or transient tachypnea of the newborn, which is um, TTN. And the other one, respiratory distress syndrome is RDS. So if you hear RDS or TTN, very, very common. Um, This is when we see a baby that's struggling to breathe. So they are retracting. So they're pulling in those little muscles in between their ribs. Um, they might be nasal flaring. So their like little nostrils are going up and down when they're breathing. They might be grunting. So they're making a sound like "Eh, eh," when they breathe. Um, Or they might be desatting. So their oxygen levels in their blood are dropping um, or they're not holding it above a certain number that we'd like to see. Um, So these things will you know, initiate us to uh, give them respiratory support. Sometimes babies just need to transition after they're born. Um, Sometimes they need to be on respiratory support for a few days. And some babies need a little bit of help for a few months. So um, respiratory distress syndrome and um, transient tachypnea of the newborn is also very common. I will say I'll see, you'll see more babies come out showing signs of respiratory distress um, if it's something called a precipitous delivery. So if mommy is a vaginal delivery, but the baby came out super fast, so maybe mommy's a multip um, and it's like her, I don't know, seventh baby and baby came out in like five minutes. Um, (laughs) And I'm not even joking, like this, like like it happens, Um, you know, one push and the baby's out. Um, that big squeeze that, you know, when babies go through that vaginal canal helps them clear out, um, amniotic fluid that's in their lungs. And while the mom is laboring, 
and she's pushing for all those hours and all that stuff and the baby slowly comes out the vaginal canal that helps the baby clear out all that fluid out of their lungs um of course once once the baby's out we can physically help the baby get the fluid out but if that baby doesn't get that nice long big squeeze of the vaginal canal and it comes out really fast sometimes we see them having retained um, fetal lung fluid um, and causes them to have some trouble breathing um, in addition to a precipitous delivery, you will see that with babies that are um, a C-section birth, because as small as the incision that they make on mommy's bellies, nothing can compare to a, 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 a vaginal delivery squeeze. Um, so they try to mimic that when they do, when they, um, you know, cut into mom's belly to make the hole as as small as possible, yes, for mom, but also for baby to kind of like mimic that squeeze um, so the baby can kind of clear out some of those secretions as well. Um, so that's respiratory distress syndrome and TTN. Um, and then other reasons why we might see babies admitted to the NICU um, would be cardiac abnormalities or genetic abnormalities. Um, a lot of these things are found prenatally um, on ultrasounds or um, genetic testing and all that stuff. So some of these, a lot of these are planned NICU admissions. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are times when babies come out and all the babies just not breathing and it ends up being, you know, a cardiac kid that, you know, just got missed on the ultrasound or maybe mom had no prenatal care. Um, so there was no ultrasound, you know, it could have been like a walk-in off the street. Um, and that 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 happens as well. Um, so those are other um, two other reasons why we will see babies come into the NICU. So we'll see cardiac, like tetralogy of Fallot and I don't know, pulmonary stenosis and I don't know, um, genetic stuff like um, TE fistula, like uh, tracheoesophageal fistula esophageal atresia, um, things like that, um, which I won't go into because it's, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting, but it will take me a long time to explain. Um, hypoglycemia. So some babies that are full term, they came out great. Atgar's great. They go to baby and um, they go to mom and well baby and, they, and they're with mommy for a few hours and they get that first blood sugar and it's low. There are some babies that struggle with holding their blood sugar. Um, and so a lot of these babies sometimes are in, um, infants of diabetic moms. And it's very, very common for infants of diabetic moms to drop their blood sugar. Um, and we also expect them not to feed very well. That's something that we see very common with babies that, um, that when their mom had um, diabetes, especially if it's uncontrolled diabetes. If it's a controlled diabetic mom, the babies kind of do a little bit better, but if it's like an uncontrolled diabetic mom, the baby usually does um, not so great and they need a little bit of help. So if the baby has hypoglycemia and it doesn't recover from a formula feed or breastfeeding, uh, some, some hospitals use like a glucose gel, like a sugar gel. Um, if the baby doesn't recover from that and hold their sugar, then they'll get admitted to the NICU for um, IV fluids. Hypothermia, um, which is basically a fancy word for the baby getting cold and not being able to hold their temperature. Um, that is a sign of infection in babies. So when adults get sick, we get hot, we get fevers. 
when babies get sick, they can get cold or hot. Okay. So you'll notice that we always take the temperature of the baby from the second they come out the womb all throughout the hospital stay. Um, and that's because it can go either way with them. They get cold, we think infection. They get hot, we think infection. Um, hyperbilirubinemia is not necessarily an automatic NICU um, admission. Um, well, baby nurseries are more than likely um, able to do phototherapy. Um, hyperbilirubinemia is what causes jaundice in babies. And jaundice is a fancy word for when you see a little bit of yellowing of the skin or even the whites of the eyes, palms of the hands, soles of the feet. Um, what happens in the body is everybody has red blood cells. And every day, red blood cells get broken down. And when red blood cells get broken down, there's a byproduct get, that gets released into the blood during that process called bilirubin. And as adults, we have no issues getting rid of bilirubin from our body. We pee and we poop it out. Our liver metabolizes it. No problem. Babies, on the other hand, have immature, sometimes have like a little bit of a hard time getting it out. So they have a little bit of an immature liver. Um, some of them do okay with kind of excreting it by peeing and pooping. Some of them need a little bit of help because it's building up in their system. And when that bilirubin builds up to a certain number at a certain number of hours of life, um, it's considered high risk and the baby needs to be put on phototherapy. Um, and it's very something that we take very serious at least in the United States, um, I think all over the world, but uh, we take very serious because if it's not treated, it can cause permanent brain damage called connectoris. Um, so it's not something that we take very lightly, but it is not necessarily an automatic NICU admission. Um, however, if they start phototherapy in maternity or in mother baby and the, the baby's bilirubin level does not improve, they may need to go to the NICU um, for more intensive phototherapy treatment or um, IV fluids or things of that nature, or God forbid, a transfusion exchange. But that's last, last, last on the list. They'll try everything first before they do that. And I won't even get into that. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that we usually see in the NICU is um, babies that are just poor feeders. Um, some babies just need a lot of help learning how to eat. Um, and they need a little bit of extra practice, especially mostly a lot of times it's babies that are preterm um, that need help learning how to eat, um, especially if they've been tube fed their whole life. Um, so learning how to eat, eat is kind of like a little bit of struggle for them because like they, you know, they come out the belly and they're like, wait a second, you want me to breathe <laughs> on my own? You want me to eat? Right. At the same at the same time and pee and poop, like they're like, bruh, this is too much. Um, but yeah, so those are like some common reasons why you'll see babies in the NICU. Of course, that is not an exhaustive list. Um, but off the top of my head, those are the most common reasons why you'll see babies go to the NICU. Mm, that was, I mean, for someone who doesn't know much about the NICU that was very extensive <laughs> but very <laughs> um informative so thank you for that um but you literally just said something that will transition us right into the next part of our conversation um with babies 
uh, poor feeding and needing just some additional supports. Once Caden went to the NICU, one of my biggest concerns was, will I still be able to breastfeed him? And I just wasn't sure what I would be able to do with him or for him um, in the NICU, feedings included. So if you could just talk about um, what our parents or like the caregivers of the child in the NICU allowed to do, like how can they participate? How can they feel like they're connecting with their child and supporting their child, doing things for their child? Um, yeah. Yeah. So this all depends on the actual NICU itself. Um, every NICU is different. They all got their different rules. They have different levels of comfortability. I will even go as far as it's also nurse dependent. There's nurses have different levels of comfortability as well. One nurse might say, it's okay for you to do this. The next nurse might, might come over and say, no, you can't do that. Um, which is unfortunate, but it happens. That's the reality. Um, and then it also will depend on the condition of the baby. So obviously, if your baby has a breathing tube, um, you're not going to be able to do a lot with the baby physically. Like you won't, might not be able to hold him. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's impossible because I've definitely seen, seen it done. But you might probably won't be able to hold the baby while the baby has a breathing tube in or if the baby has any central lines in which is like a special IV that goes all the way to the baby's heart mm. um so it, it all depends on the NICU depends on the baby and it depends on the nurse but overall there are definitely ways that mo- um, moms and dads and family members can get involved in the baby's care I am a super hands-on um, family, like, you, mommy, you do everything that you can do while you're here. I'll just do the formal stuff. Um, that's the type of nurse that I am. So here's some of the things that, you know, I like to have my parents do so they can participate in the cares, such as taking the baby's temperature. So I'll show them how to use a thermometer because we, at my NICU, we take the baby's temperature every three hours before every feeding. They are definitely more than welcome to change the diaper because trust me, I do not need the practice. I probably changed <laughs> freaking thousands of diapers at this point. Um, so mom and dad, you got the diaper. Um, and then we also, we will um, encourage mom and dads to participate in the feeding if, bo- if baby is bottle feeding, especially if the baby needs special positioning. I will help the parents learn how to position the baby. Premature babies do not eat like full-term babies. You can't just cock them in your arm and lay them back and throw the bottle in their mouth. Some of them need to eat on their side. Some of them need to eat upright. Some of them them need a modified upright side line. Like, so every baby is different, especially preemies. Um, so if, or if the baby's a special feeder as in a, in a sense that baby has a cleft palate and has a special bottle. Um, so there's a whole there's a whole line of special bottles for special feeders and all that jazz. So we'll work with the parents as well for um, learning how to use those bottles and then bath time, which is usually on night shift. Um, but if the baby has a blood on my shift and the parents are there, we're definitely <laughs> going to do bath time. Um, so those are some things that the parents can do as far as caring for the baby. Um, for infants needing long-term or special care. So we do have babies that sometimes turn one on our unit. Um, and are still fairly sick and need uh, quite a bit of support from um, 
the health care providers. Um, in those cases, we will teach parents how to suction the babies. We will teach parents if the baby has a tracheostomy, so it's like a, a permanent, semi-permanent tube in the baby's throat, a breathing tube in the baby's throat so that it's no longer in their mouth or their nose um, that goes straight to the lungs. Um We'll teach parents how to suction those and how to do how to care for that tube. If the baby has a G tube, like a gastric tube in their belly um, for feeding, we will teach parents how to feed and take care of the G tube site. Um, and if the baby's going home with the trach and the G tube, we will teach the parents how to work the feeding pumps. We'll teach the parents how to give the baby the medicine with the milk. Um, be, and how to suction and work the ventilator at home because when they go home, they may have a nurse. They'll they more than likely will have like a 24 hour nurse. Um, but it is very, very important that the parents are fully knowledgeable of how to work all the equipment and take care of the baby in case of, of an emergency. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, special care needs. Um, in addition to all of that, moms are encouraged to breastfeed all like as much as possible um and they're also encouraged to pump at the bedside they'll actually get more milk when they pump at the bedside versus pumping like in their room in maternity and then coming back and bringing the milk um when mommy sees baby hears baby can talk to baby touches baby while she's pumping her hormones go crazy and she'll actually get out more milk um one thing i just thought of that i didn't have on this little list that i have in front of me um, I like to, if, when I remember, I like to tell mommies to wear a baby blanket around her neck when she's downstairs in maternity, when she's away from baby and bring the baby bank blanket back up to the NICU. And I can wrap, I could swaddle the baby in that blanket or put it on her bed, have her lay on it. Um, that way it smells like mommy. Um, so when baby does have that first skin to skin, maybe, um, interaction or breastfeeding interaction, she has mommy scent like recognizable already. Um, so that is definitely one thing that I, I love to tell mommies to do and dads as well. Um, I already mentioned skin to skin. Skin to skin is great for babies as far as regulating their temperature, regulating their breathing, um, getting ready for breastfeeding and just bonding with mom and dad overall. Dads can definitely do skin to skin. I love it when dads ask. Yes, they have to take their shirt off in the NICU. <laughs> um, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, and believe it or not, a little fun fact about skin to skin. Um, I learned this when I was working in maternity. I actually, I didn't even say this when I did my intro. I started as a mother baby nurse and then transitioned into the NICU. So um, when we had babies that were cold, so hypothermia over in mother baby, the number one thing that I used to like to do was to put baby skin to skin with dad first. Um, reason being, actually, I would do skin to skin with mommy first. And then if baby was still cold after like 30 minutes skin to skin with mom, I'd throw the baby straight on dad, no questions asked. Reason being is mom has this, moms have this great ability. Their bodies just know they will feel baby's body temperature and the mom's body will get warmer or colder dependent on the baby. Um, and if the mom has twins, literally half of her body will be like two different temperatures. So if one twin on the right, 
on the right side of her chest is cold and the twin on the left side is hot, like the right side of her body will warm up and like the left side of her body will cool down. It's crazy, but that like it's crazy. It's it's a thing. It's literally a thing. The <laughs> woman's body is phenomenal. Yes. Now the reason why if a baby is cold, persistently cold, and I'll throw the baby on dad is because dad does not have that ability at all. Right. Men are furnaces. So they can only get hot. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, they will only warm the baby up. So um, I love when dads want to do skin to skin because, yes, they can bond with them, but they warm the babies very, very well. Um, Other things that parents can do in the NICU is something called colostrum care or oral care. So especially if you have a micro preemie, um, those first couple days of life, you have those those yellow drops of gold liquid gold is what we call it colostrum coming out of your breast um it will be very small in quantity but very high in quality and we will take every single drop that you bring to the NICU Mm -hmm. every single drop even if it is a drop we get a q-tip and we put it in the baby's mouth um and I cringe when moms say I was just a drop so I threw it out or I didn't get anything I like I left it down there or it was the color was funny so I threw it out oh no it doesn't matter the color if it came out of your boob like we want bring it (laughs) don't matter what it looked like doesn't matter how much it was bring it um so we have special um colostrum care swabs usually on um on in NICUs where we can dip it in the colostrum and put it in the baby's mouth just to start coating the baby's um, stomach to prepare for feeding. A lot of times babies will not feed as soon as they get to the NICU. Um, There's a couple of other things that take precedence and um, priority when babies get to NICU. Feeding is kind of like last on the list sometimes. Like, But oral care and colostrum care is not necessarily considered a feeding. Um, and it's great to kind of get those antibodies in the baby, that liquid gold. It primes the gut. Think of it kind of like a probiotic um, and just kind of stimulates the GI system to get ready to prepare to consume their first feeding. Um, and then also it's mommy's breast milk. So it's kind of like, you know, um, like a little appetizer so that when they get on the boob, they're like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. OK, yeah, I know what this smells like. I know what this tastes like. I know what I'm doing. Um, other things, when babies are stable, we, at least in my NICU, we 1,000% encourage parents to bring in blankets, hats, onesies um, for the babies to get dressed in. Um, and we can put the blankets in their isolates or in their cribs. Um, so that's definitely something that the parents can do. And then other things that would include reading books to the babies. You know, no, it's never too early. Um, playing music. Um, in my NICU, the child life specialists are awesome and they are able to give iPods to the parents to take home and they can record themselves reading a book. Oh, awesome. And that way when, when mommy's not there, um, the nurses can play the iPod for the baby um, and baby can hear mommy's voice while they're resting or something like that. I love that. Um, Yeah. And so there was actually one family where like the mom went home and it was like mom, dad and the two toddler brothers all reading the book together. So like you heard the little, you know, older brothers like, hi, baby, so and so, (laughs) you know, and they're all reading the book together. Um, So that is also another option. 
And then, of course, we want you to hold your baby whenever you can. Um, bonding, skin to skin, and stuff like that. Those are all the things that moms can, moms and dads can do in the NICU for the baby. Well, I mean, that's a lot. And a lot that I didn't know. I think it was like day two or three where I asked, like, can she get dressed? And they were like, yeah. I'm like, well, I didn't know. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. she was in the like standard, like hospital little baby mm-hmm. outfit that they give. And, and I didn't know that we could bring outfits for the baby. Mm-hmm. Dress. So um, I hope that information helps someone out there if their baby is in or will end up in the NICU, like all these things that you can ask to do. Um, and mm-hmm. Like Chelsea said, it varies by, um, NICU site but um, but please ask I mean ask yeah. it, it can't hurt to do that that's um, right so um, I just want to briefly ask about your experience um, with working the NICU during COVID like have you seen an influx of babies being admitted to the NICU and if so was it like COVID related I guess or just like what I mean, I know it's um, moms like giving birth during this time anyway, but then to be yeah. separated from your baby. From what I've seen, all the babies that are born to COVID positive moms have all came out fine. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've seen, and they've all tested negative. Um, we tested. At least at my hospital, we test the babies at 24 hours of life. We try to give the baby some time to clear out some amniotic fluid that might have COVID in it. Right. Um, that might give us a false positive. Um, so 24 hours. And then I think again at like one week of life or something like that. I forget the timeline now. It's been a, it's been a while since we had a COVID positive mom deliver. Well, that's have a good to thing. Go to the NICU. Because <laughs> there have been... Because just because the ba- the mom is COVID positive, that's not an automatic admission to the NICU. If the baby okay. comes out fine, the baby's staying with mom. Okay. Um, now, if it's a preterm baby and the mom's COVID positive, then the baby's going to come to us. Right. In that instance, mom will not be allowed to visit. It depends on mom's symptoms. If she's still symptomatic or if she never was symptomatic, she might have to wait a certain amount. Of, like, honestly, I, I kid you not, there during the the mayhem and the craziness of of covid the rules changed every day (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure um and i couldn't even tell you what the rules are right now because (laughs) they're still changing like every week yeah um especially with the visitation policy so we definitely shut down our visitation it's only moms and dads that are allowed to visit at my hospital and they are not allowed to visit at the same time so they have to swap in and out um and then if they're, you know, COVID positive, they have to wait. Maybe they might have to wait up to two weeks. They might have to show a negative test. They might have to, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of if this, then that, if this, then that type of situations when it comes to COVID. And every hospital is different. Everybody, every hospital has their own rules. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, kudos and props to the parents and moms out here delivering during COVID and Shout out to all of the nurses, NICU nurses, maternity, labor and delivery nurses, all nurses everywhere, <laughs> all healthcare providers working through mm-hmm. COVID, all essential workers. Shout out to you all. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so that brings us to the next um, 
part of our conversation. What's it like for um, families and babies when they're preparing to leave the NICU? The only thing that I can remember, and and again, because Kaden and Sarai weren't, um, I guess, a severe, considered a severe reason that they were in the NICU. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Sarai just needed to pass, like, I think it's a two-hour car seat test. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, Kaden, he actually left the NICU, but I was still in the hospital, so he was still with me, and then we left together. So it wasn't just him mm-hmm. getting discharged from the NICU alone. Um, so I don't remember what his requirements were to leave. Um, but I'm sure there are more things that you guys look for. Yeah. So oh, there's, like, a whole checklist. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'll go through at least on the NICU side and a lot of it will cross over into mother baby will be um, certain things, this, which just standard for all newborns. And then some of them are going to be NICU specific. Um, so preterm babies and in some hospitals, there's a weight requirement. So it might be like babies that come out less than 2,500 grams um, or less than a certain gestational age or babies that required respiratory support for a certain amount of time, we'll need a car seat test. Um, And this is to make sure that the baby can keep their airway open in that sitting upright position. Um, It just has a lot to do with the the, the musculoskeletal in their neck airway area, Um, just to make sure that they can keep their airway open because they can silently um, suffocate if they, if the car seat is not properly fitted for them or sometimes they're just, just not ready or they might need a special car seat. Um, so that's why we do the car seat test. Um, and yes, it is a two-hour test and the baby has to sit in the car seat and be on the monitor for two hours. And if the baby desats or um, like has a bradycardia event where they drop their heart rate, they will not pass the test and they have to get retested one more time. Usually the babies pass the second time, but if they don't pass, then they have to get um, a special car seat or it's called a car bed, actually. Um, but I've actually never seen that happen. So most babies pass. Um, the other thing that babies will need for leaving the NICU, um, a lot of the babies get started on vitamin D and iron or multivitamin supplements um, while they're in the NICU. And so we will teach the parents how to give that at home so they can continue to give those supplements at home. Um, Some babies get by without getting those um, supplements if they're there for like a short period of time, like three days, four days or something like that. Um, So the parents won't have to learn how to give those meds. Um, But if the baby's there for like a few weeks or something like that, especially breastfed only kids, they will definitely get started on vitamin D and iron. Um, and we'll teach the parents how to give those medications at home. The baby also needs to be able to breathe on their own, so not require any respiratory support. Um, now, babies that are in the NICU for months and months and months because of um, they need respiratory support of some sort, um, they may go home with respiratory support, such as a nasal cannula. If the baby ends up having a tracheostomy, the baby will go home with a trach. Um, So 
in those instances, the parents will have to learn that equipment. Um, so that's another check off the list for what babies and parents need to do before going home. Um, and they just need to be stable. If they're going to be on that respiratory support, they need to be stable on that respiratory support. The other thing is the baby needs to show us that they can hold their temperature outside of isolate on their own in a regular open crib with like regular clothes on and a blanket. Um, if the baby is unable to do that and has to go back into an isolate, um, that means the baby is not ready to go home. And if you can remember why I told you, you know, babies get cold. That's a sign of infection. Um, if the baby's unable to hold their temperature outside of the isolate, um, that means they're not done kind of thermal regulating themselves after the delivery. Um, and we want to make sure that they've had that chance to transition to the outside life before we like, you know, j jump the gun and say, oh my God, the baby has an infection because the baby's cold. Um, maybe the baby just wasn't ready to come out of the isolate. Um, weight gain. Yes and no, um, because all babies within the first like week of life, whether they're preterm or full term, will lose weight. And it takes a little bit of time for them to regain back to their birth weight. Um, so, yes, we want babies. We want to see babies gain weight. But that's more like the long term kids that are in the NICU for longer than a week. Um, if your baby is in the NICU for less than a week we 1000% expect them to, to lose weight. Um, and if they do gain weight, it's, it's not going to be much. And if they, I mean, if they gain a lot of weight, great, but we have no expectations as far as like weight gain or weight loss, especially in the first week of life. Um, something that's pretty standard, whether the baby is full-term or, or preterm is a hearing screen. All the babies must get their hearing screen before leaving the hospital. Um, and then vaccines are always offered. So usually it's just the hepatitis B vaccine that's offered very standard before leaving the hospital. Parents have the option of waiving it and giving it at their first pediatrician appointment. Um, other vaccines, if babies are there for two months, so they get the two month or the three month vaccines, six month vaccines, if the babies are there for six months and if the baby turns a year, they'll get those vaccines as well. Um, and then something called a PKU or newborn screening. Um, the newborn screening is a state mandated screening blood test that is done on all babies that are born, I believe, in the United States. Um, you can't waive it. You can't say no to it. You have to it just you have to have it. It's a genetic and metabolic screening um, that gets sent out of the hospital and they, they do the results somewhere. I don't even know where it gets sent, but. Um, no news is good news. So if they don't contact you after the hospital, that means your baby is fine. Um, and then in the NICU, parents have to watch a, at least in our NICU, the parents have to watch a CPR video. Um, and some, and some NICUs will require the parents to take a CPR class um, to learn how to give CPR on a baby in the event that a baby stops breathing at home. And then... We also will require you to make a pediatrician appointment one to two days after discharge for your baby. Um, and those are like off the top of my head, the things that kind of like the, the protocol for babies leaving the NICU. Now that you said that, I do recall pretty much a lot of that <laughs> needing to mm -hmm. um, happen regardless, like you said, of if they were in the NICU or not. So 
um, thank you for going over um, those things. Um, Mm -hmm. But we are ending our time. um, And I just wanted to um, give you opportunity um, and I'll even say a few words, but just some words of encouragement for parents um, whose babies might be in the NICU or end up in the NICU one day. Um, I mean, I felt like, again, I was totally unprepared. I mean, when I first walked in the room and I saw Sarai in the incubator, I just cried so much. Like, I I never seen a baby like that. I mean, and she, again, was only there because of her gestation. Like, but she was in, like, the blue light and she had, like, a tube. I mean, I don't know. It just, like, she just, I don't know. I just felt like she was so helpless and I couldn't do anything. Um, and so I feel like, I mean, and this isn't uh, your your job or your coworkers, or anyone else's job, but I feel like there's some uh, emotional part of preparing a parent for the NICU or even just while the child is in the NICU that also needs to happen as well, because like you really can't necessarily be prepared for for that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt bad. Um, I think we were talking about this offline or earlier, but sometimes I feel bad, like, you know, sometimes there's, like, NICU awareness month, I think, or day, I don't know, and I normally don't post my kids because I don't feel like, like, why they were there was so severe compared to some of the reasons, but at the same time, that doesn't take away that they were there and that there was a separation between us and that it was unexpected and that there were tubes and there were um, IVs and things that I just was not prepared for as a new mom to see my baby in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I also want to just say that regardless of why your baby is in the NICU, whether it's for two days or a year, I mean, you're, you are allowed to feel however you're, you want to feel about your baby being there. Um, Although it's sad that some babies have to stay longer and are there for more life-threatening reasons, um, if your baby went to the NICU, it's still an experience um, that's different than when your baby doesn't go to the NICU. Yeah. Um, I would say um, for for parents that knowingly, like, they, you know, have a... uh, prenatally diagnosed condition and they know their baby's going to be in the NICU and they know their baby's going to be in the NICU for a long time. I like to tell my parents, um, it's a journey mm-hmm. and take it one day at a time and celebrate all small wins and focus on the small victories. Um, I often see a lot of anxiety in the NICU from parents, um, very common. Um, and whether, you know, the parents has ever had anxiety before, or they have a history of anxiety. It's just something about seeing your baby, your child sick, that is just anxiety provoking. Um, so I like to break that down and say, this is a journey one day at a time. What, and then I try to find something when, when, you know, when I'm talking to that parent, what's one thing that we can celebrate right now? Like, okay, look, today he took one whole bottle. Like he did that for the first time. Like that's something that we need to celebrate. Like focus on that. 
not that you know why is he still not eating why is he still not he should be home by now blah 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 no like okay he finally took one whole bottle that this is great you know what i mean or look he came out of the isolate today and he's holding his temperatures this is great okay the baby came off of cpap or his nasal cannula he's no longer needing respiratory support he's breathing on his own that's great you know what i mean so focus on the small small wins little by little and then for the super, super, super anxious parents that like freak out is like some parents like will literally like freak out if the baby like moves their toe. <laughs> and <laughs> like, I'm not even exaggerating. Like, oh my gosh, the baby, why is he, why is he moving his foot like that? I think he's uncomfortable. No, like your baby's a human and is allowed to move. <laughs> um, and no, we're not going to stare at your baby for 24 hours and he's allowed to wiggle around and make funny faces and do stuff like, you know, he's allowed to cry. What I like to tell the super duper anxious parents is if the nurse isn't freaking out, you don't freak out. Right. If I am not freaking out, like I literally will look them in the eye. If I am not freaking out, if you don't see me panicking, you do not need to panic. And trust me, you will know when I am panicking. Right. (laughs) And usually those two things, when you say this is a journey and like, if I'm not freaking out, you don't freak out. That gives a lot of like calmness to the, the parents. They're like, okay, got you. I mean, yes. In hindsight, I mean, I feel like that can be applied to just everyday motherhood as well. Like, I think I'm gonna write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Just say that to myself every day. (laughs) Um, But no, um, I just want to thank you again. I mean, I know I know we talked about what this episode would entail, but I bet you didn't know you would be teaching like a whole class just now, did you? Girl. Um, <laughs> Honestly, this but, this could easily um, go on for two hours. I'm sure it can. And there is more to learn and to know from a parent's point of view, not even just someone who's interested in possibly becoming like a NICU nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, thank you for your time and all of this rich information. Oh, the word is, um, um, sorry, chorioamnitis. Found it. Okay. Sorry, I had to get that out. <laughs> I, knew, I knew, The thing is, I knew you were not going to just let it no. go. <laughs> so, but thanks for circling back <laughs> and, and letting us know. Regardless, I, I can't say these words. So... Um, I'll have to listen to this a few times in order to repeat it back. Um, but again, thank you so much for your time. If you want to just reiterate your social media in case yes. um, listeners want to follow you or if there are any listeners interested in your resume services, yes. um, just leave those things again. Yes. So you can follow me on Instagram. It is um, 35 MG of Chels, 35 milligrams of Chels. Um, that's my personal page. And then my business page is at the renegade resume, um, where if you are a nurse or looking to be a nurse, um, we sell resume templates, cover letter templates, and we also do resume editing, cover letter editing, personal statement, editing, mock interviews, um, conversions from resume to CVs all the way from, if you're a CNA to, a nurse practitioner, all levels of nursing, even nursing students as well. Definitely a lot of nursing students. Um, so yeah, check us out. Check me out. 
if you need to do a part two, hit me up to Maya. You know, I'm ready. I'm down. <laughs> if people have questions, feel free to send them my way. Um, they can DM me on Instagram. I'm more than happy to answer questions about their baby. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're again. welcome. So thank you for listening, guys. I hope this was very informative. And until next time, take care. Bye. See ya. Thank you.